Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a holly jolly Christmas episode. Expect visitors as we open the door for that cloven Christmas creature, Krampus. Then, up on the housetop, click, click, click. It's those merry makers of mischief, Gremlins. So, join us for Boys and Ghouls, episode 57. Whether you've been bad or good, impish or admirable, naughty or nice. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? It is the night before Christmas, but deep down in the dank, dark dungeon of Creep Castle, there is no Yuletide joy. Santa's coming to Santa. From now on, gang, we won't let Rudolph join in any reindeer games. I want to fish a red rider cover next to two inch wings while Aaron. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Get you something to eat? I fear you more than any specter I have seen. Drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead? Lead on, spirit. last year and then I, I kept it around until the Christmas season the cartoons inside it's all cartoons from Playboy magazine having oh, to do with Christmas I'm so angry that I didn't find this and give this to you as a gift because this would have been like the best find ever so there's like the office Christmas party that's like a big theme Things involving Santa, naturally. And then there's oh. the series of nudists. Yes. And oh, it's yes. like uh -huh. and, and orgiists. Oh, here's, here's a good nudists one. So, just holding the ladder will suffice, Mr. Jacobs. <laughs> He's holding her buns. <laughs> what an interesting slice of pop culture that converge on a lot of fronts. Do you know what I mean? But then there's the one artist who always does like sort of horror things. Mm. So it's like, sexy, sexy, frightening. Well, you know, naked breasts and horror have gone hand in hand for quite some time. Yeah, hard to separate the two. <laughs> there you go, Graham Wilson. Oh, jeez. Right? That's frightening. Yeah, we found out what's been clogging your chimney since last December, Miss Emmy. And it's just a Santa corpse. Corpse of Santa. On that note. Wow. I don't think this really needs a coaster. And I'm afraid if I keep trying to put it on there, it's going to make crinkly noises. There oh, we go. okay. All right. Yeah. Marshall. Have you been up to anything spooky? Well, as you know, I performed in a play of sorts called Silent Night Spook Night. How'd that go? I was at the first one. Yes, you were. It was fun. We had a great rest of the run. And we've done, for the last three years prior to now, we did Spook Night in October. And it's been kind of an annual thing. We didn't do it this October. Instead, we did a Silent Night Spook Night. So I played, as you know, kind of an evil, a robot who seems really ideal and great. You know, I come out on stage with a cellophane With a bag over your head. head. How'd that work? We cut holes in it. Uh, um, and, in fact... I think that's what they did in uh, Black Christmas. I don't know. If you're doing it for film... We never film, looked into how they did that. I feel like if you're doing it for film, you just have to do it as accurately as possible and get the shot really quickly. For theater... And you didn't fog it up. 
Well, no. Because you, you weren't supposed to be able to breathe because you're a robot. Yes. The preview mm-hmm. night, our kind of dress rehearsal, we tried it for the first time really with the bag and with like kind of adrenaline and all of that. I almost had to rip it off my head before it was time for it to come off because it was fogging and I was feeling a little bit like panicky and I don't deal well with like that kind of thing anyway. Of course, Matthew puts me with a bag over my head in one scene and a mask in another. Not just a bag, like like a ribbon. A plastic bag with a ribbon tied around it, yes. Yeah. Around my neck. But what we did, um, you know, I thought it might be fine, but then after the first night, Matthew was like, I'm going to cut. He cuts these huge holes that you, even if you could see, see, who cares. Yeah. But, um... That was what we did. We cut really substantial holes in it. But, you know, my robot, she she's programmed to do some naughty things. Not fun naughty. Like right. murderous naughty. Which was fun. It was great. Uh, since we've last recorded, I have seen far more of my own blood than I wanted to. Oh, Marshall. Uh, thanks to a little uh, post-Thanksgiving kitchen accident, I was trying to turn leftovers into a bit of a, a breakfast scramble. I was cutting the cheese. <laughs> it was a hard cheese. The knife slipped. <laughs> And I had to go to the ER. But I haven't let it slow me down with my big bandage on my finger. I saw your play. And I went to see a Riff Tracks, uh, one of those, um, like, I didn't go to see it live, but it was like, we broadcast it to your theater, but for one night only. Oh, cute. Have you seen those ads? I have, indeed. When you're sitting in the theater, you'll see ads for them usually. Yeah, I took uh, Sumo Dan. And they played Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Oh, wow. We've established on the podcast last year that you need to watch that with some sort of commentary, which I didn't. Yeah, watching it on its own is uh, a bit too, tedious. too great a slog. And some Christmas shorts from a previous performance were kind of like put together. I'm pretty glad that the audience didn't take the spirit of the evening as a chance to also yell at the movie. Mm. Like, listen, we paid to hear them talk to the movie. Right. We're not paying to hear you talk to them talking to the movie. Right. Yeah. But everyone just was there to watch them. Good. No one felt they had to add their two cents. You never know with people. Yeah. Also, as this is our or basically our Christmas episode, I made you a little something with my own two hands. It's you a Christmas made ornament. Me an ornament. That's the back. <gasps> oh my God, Marshall Hicks. Uh, that's a popsicle stick frame. Oh. It's a popsicle stick frame with spooky jokes on it. Well, one of them at least is, what kind of boats do vampires like? Blood vessels. In the center is a picture. You want to describe it? It's a picture of Larry Drake Drake as the evil, scary, creepy, crazy Santa from the Tales from the Crypt episode and all through the house. But it's all like cartoonified. It's beautiful. That is a business card that I got at like a Monster Palooza. (laughs) And I've been wanting to make something out of it. This is my favorite Christmas gift you've ever given me. That is beautiful. I am so excited to put this on my tree. A painting by HorrorIllustration.com. It's beautiful. I need Artist this on a t-shirt. Brian Johnson. And instead of purchasing something from him, I just turned one of his business cards. <laughs> hey, but you also gave him a shout out on this podcast. I, I did. I really wanted to. That's so cool. So, I, so I, you said, okay. I Brian turned, Johnson, okay, yeah. horrorillustration.com. I'm going to have to go check that out. So it's like his it's business picture. Business cards on one side, and then like one of his paintings, which in this case is the Christmas Tales from a Crypt, on the other. Wow. And I have turned it into a Christmas ornament for cat. It's gorgeous. That is a dental floss. I, oh, I noticed. String, you know, rather than actual string. <laughs> I am so charmed. I love nothing more than a handmade gift. That is incredible. That's beautiful. You're welcome. Well, 
Well, I'm gonna tell Santa Claus on you. I'm gonna tell him that you've been untrue. Christmas Eve, he'll know the score. He won't come a knocking on your door. You better not tell him you've been nice. Gonna tell him once and maybe twice. How you broke my heart in two. I'm gonna tell Santa Claus on you. How much do you know about Krampus? Just the broad strokes. You were really taking the reins on this one. Oh boy, there he went. And I was like, I can't match it. She'll bring all all the thunder when it comes to Krampus. Sure. So I decided to focus on Gremlins, the... I can't say pre-Krampus because I know Krampus is quite, quite old. Yeah. But in pop culture, the pre-Krampus Christmas mayhem. Yeah. That I came up on. Great. I'm excited. Neither of us came up on Krampus because neither of us are Austrian children. Exactly. I do come from a, uh, a Swiss background, and this time, because today we're recording on the 6th, Today is St. Nicholas Day, right? It is, and that means yesterday was Krampusnacht. Yeah. Krampusnacht. Which is also when St. Nicholas would come and deliver, like, fruit and nuts into your shoes. So um, one year we had an aunt visiting, and it wasn't quite Christmas, but she had this kind of, like, pre-Christmas fun thing to do, which is so we, we put And you're our... like, wait, little sweet treats before Christmas? Yeah. Sure. So we left our shoes outside of our doors. And I'm like, not for nothing, but stockings look a little nicer. We've, we've got them, you know. <laughs> Chocolate coins is uh-huh. what we got. Okay. So on this day, which is not Christmas, but rather St. Nicholas Day, uh, companion to St. Nicholas is Krampus. Yes. My aunt left that part out of the story. We'll have a Merry Christmas, too, because I won't tell Santa Claus on you. Here in America, we have really done that. Our St. Nicholas character, our Santa Claus, has become really the figure of Christmas. And here in the States, he doesn't have any companion. But in... um, And and he comes on the 25th of December. he comes on the 25th of December, which, as probably most people know, it's not literally the night Jesus was born. The 25th was actually originally a completely pagan day. And that that was... Which leads me to a broader observation. Which I, I think I know what you're about to say. Possibly. It's just a look at the malleability of Christmas to form it into really whatever you're into. And I think that speaks to its staying power. So today, going less with culture, more with pop culture, you can do, hey, it's Santa Claus, but he's a rootin' tootin' cowboy Santa. (laughs) And somebody else says, like, well, Santa's a surfer bringing presents to all the beach bunnies and beach bums. Or Santa's a biker delivering presents from a sack he carries on his back while he goes down on the road on his Harley. Exactly. Whatever you're into, the modern notion of Christmas is malleable enough to shape it into whatever you like. Last night I listened to the, um, I guess that was NPR clip that you sent me. Oh. In which uh, a woman was saying, like, Christmas is a little too saccharine for me. Yeah. So that's why I oh, go in for... this is the for, lady celebrating Krampus in I go in, in for Krampus. Yeah. For a lot of us, I think we can just stop at, like, Nightmare Before Christmas or The Grinch. Yeah. And they're hanging their stockings, snarled for the sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. For those of us who need a little more, really, for some people, second Halloween. Totally. B- by the sound of it. Or these other countries 
who have whole Krampus festivals, they don't really have their own Halloween. So they're like, Halloween what? Krampus! <laughs> and they go, well, just like here, some people go all out and do these crazy Krampuses. Like you, the woman you were talking about in the video who was, was like drying bones, like animal bones, to make a vest of bones to yeah. be Krampus. It's like they work all year for this one Krampus night or Krampus Nacht. Mm-hmm. Just like one might for Halloween. Yeah. And then adding, just like Halloween and just like traditional Christmas, adding their own touches and really making it their own. Yeah. In Austro-Bavarian Alpine folklore, Krampus is a horned, anthropomorphic, which means kind of like a humanoid, figure described as half goat, half demon, who, during the Christmas season, punishes children who have misbehaved, in contrast with St. Nicholas, who rewards the well-behaved with gifts. So here in modern-day America, and in a lot of the world that celebrates Christmas as we know it today, Santa Claus knows when you've been sleeping, knows when you're awake, he knows if you've been bad or good, he gives you presents or lumps of coal in your stocking. Punish! So our threat of punishment for misdeeds comes from Santa Claus. He delivers the good or the bad. It's all wrapped up in or him, right? Or just skips you, and that's, that's Or just enough. skips you, but the punishment comes from him. But the Krampus is the foil. So in these European countries that celebrate Krampus, and of course we're all pronouncing the Krampus, you know, it's, so it's much Krampus. more Krampus. In those cultures and countries, St. Nicholas is purely the good side of it. He gives the presents, and Krampus, or one of the other companions, depending on what country or region you're in, is the one who delivers the bad stuff. Just a distinction. The beast will not stop until it has punished the wicked in this house. The origin of the figure is unclear, but for the most part... Some, Some suggest that he predates Christianity. Absolutely. Many of them do. But you can find ties to and characteristics of Norse and Greek mythological characters in the Krampus. Obviously, the goat hooves and the... So, for those who haven't quite seen it, and both you and I watched the Krampus movie, which includes the goat hooves, mm-hmm. but in that he wears like a Santa mask. I want to see what's under that mask. Yes. It's a scary mask, though. It is, just because I think actually any Santa masks, when they don't just sell you the beard... But they sell you, like, the white guy ruddy cheek mask, which I think used to be a little more popular back in the day. Mm-hmm. Those always look freaky, despite all best intentions. Yeah. And in the film Krampus, 2015, it looks super creepy because the eyes are just kind of like black pools in the mouth. It just kind of like... Bleh. It seemed as though they had a couple different masks, so for him to look surprised really? or... Maybe it was in my mind, maybe it was I was placing that on the mask, but I'm pretty sure I saw a couple of different mouth positions okay. on that mask. Anyway. Under the mask is traditionally just kind of part man, part goat still, mm-hmm. like the rest of them. Yeah. And usually stands what appears to be eight feet tall, nine feet. Sure. Still small enough to fit in your house to come and uh, deliver punishments. Yeah. It's midnight. It's Christmas Day. His earthly work is at an end. So Krampus is just one of a number of companions of St. Nicholas. Mm-hmm. They are a group of closely related figures who accompany St. Nicholas through the territories formerly in the Holy Roman Empire. Have fun looking up where that is. I probably spent way too long on it. Not going to go into it right now. Um, but just parts of Europe. They act as a foil, as we mentioned, to the benevolent Christmas gift bringer, St. Nicholas, threatening to thrash or abduct disobedient children. Right. But the name for the companion figure is different in different countries. So here are a couple of other examples. Hans Trapp... 
in France. Apparently, he's based on a real guy who existed at some point. As did St. Nicholas. Mm -hmm. He was very greedy, very miserly, rumored to have practiced Satanism, and he was exiled to the forest. That all happened. It was said, now this is the legend, and I guess what they told children, it was said he preyed on children, sometimes disguising himself as a scarecrow. They said he would eat children's flesh if he grabbed them. Mm -hmm. And parents would warn their children, be good or Hans Trapp will come and get you. Kind of like a La Llorona kind of thing. Judgment is nigh, for the Belschnickel is I. Yes, he is finally nigh. I am nigh! Most of these figures involve either some kind of a beating of children, usually with sticks, sure. or carrying them away, either just to take them off to, in, like, hell. In his sack. In his sack. Or Which I, is such a great parallel to Santa's, Santa's sack. sack of I, toys. I read somewhere something about one of the legends saying that one of these companions would wrap up the children to take them off in the sack and throw them into an icy river, which I think is so Christmassy. More Christmassy than hell. Yes. Another take in parts of Germany, Necht Ruprecht, which means like farmhand or servant Rupert, is the companion. He asks children whether they can pray. And this is the kind of thing that maybe would be like performed on Krampusnacht or, you know, the night before, like last night as we're recording this. So he would go door to door and ask children whether they can pray. If they can, they receive apples, nuts, and gingerbread. If they cannot, he beats the children with his bag. Um, with the bag. With a, with the bag. In other versions of the story, he gives naughty children gifts such as lumps of coal, sticks, and stones, while well-behaving children re- receive sweets from St. Nicholas. Sometimes he would be known to give naughty children a switch or a stick in their shoes. So rather than the gold coins or candies or fruits, so more of a whatever threat you got. an actual thrashing. Well, it's a stick in order for the parents to beat them <laughs> wow. with it instead of candy, fruit, and nuts. No. I never had a Krampus figure. We've established that. Mm. But my mom would pull this little trick. Be sure to clean up your room and put all your toys away because if Santa comes and sees how many toys you have, he might not leave you new ones. That's pretty smart. Really, it's like pick up all your toys before company comes over. And I was just like, hide everything. (laughs) So, again, generalizing these companions, Krampus included in them, They were often the subject of winter poems and tales. Mm. They traveled with St. Nicholas often. They would be with him, paired with him, carrying a rod or a stick, sometimes in modern times a broom, and a sack. They are sometimes dressed in black rags, bearing a black face, which has been problematic in parts of Holland, because Black Pete, which is one of the companions, a person would put on black face, so they've kind of come under fire. For I learned week. about some of this from the episode of The Office. Yes, the Belschnickel. The Belschnickel. Dwight loves the now, Belschnickel. Is that a real thing? It's a real thing. It's okay. one of the companions. His partner, Schwate Pete, or Black Peter, a slave boy, often portrayed in colorful pantaloons and blackface. Uh-uh. No, Dwight. No. Oh, come on. We don't blindly stick to every outmoded aspect of our traditions. And then he, like, slyly texts the guy, and he's in the parking lot, and he, like, turns around and goes back to his car. He's in blackface. Yeah. to just the general characteristics of the Krampus specifically. So the Krampus is one of the many companions of St. Nicholas, but the one that's kind of become the most famous. So the Krampus is traditionally hairy. Like a goat. Like a goat. Brown or black. He has the cloven hooves and horns of a goat. His long pointed tongue lolls out of his mouth. 
He has fangs. He carries chains, thought to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church. This is where the Christian and the pagan traditions kind of start interweaving. interweaving. The chains are sometimes accompanied with bells of various sizes. I guess that makes for nice sounds. Mm -hmm. So the bundles of branches or sticks that the Krampus might beat children with are things that are of the more pagan origins. So you can really kind of trace this back to pagan traditions. Some historians believe that those bundles of sticks may have had significance in pre-Christian pagan initiation rites. So pagan-like ceremonies involved maybe these birch branches and beating each other. And then, as we mentioned, sometimes the Krampus appears with a sack or a basket strapped to his back. This is to cart off evil children for drowning, eating, or transport to hell or an icy river to throw them in. Ooh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Marshall, I know you've been seeing these Krampus postcards for a while. Yeah, well... Imagery of them online. I had never heard of Krampus, and then about four years ago, I walked into Dark Delicacy during the Magnolia Park Holiday Walk, Yep. and there was just a big guy dressed like a goat demon, and you could take pictures with him. I'm like, oh, this is a thing. And then look, here on this table are many old drawings and etchings Mm -hmm. of this Krampus fellow. Looks like he was a whole thing. And since then, possibly culminating with the 2015 film, America's... Pop culture has really been kind of grabbing on to Krampus imagery. Yeah, there's been a bit of a Krampusance. But (laughs) I don't know what started it. It was just like an idea whose time had come. Is it like we never hear of like a particular bread and then all of a sudden it's everywhere? There's no one real answer. I did read some things about the government in certain countries kind of trying to put a damper on it because they thought it was inappropriate and too scary. And so I think it's now just like a backlash. Yeah. That's what we're getting? I think so. To that? And And it's found its way to the States? Yeah, and you know how much we love weird, creepy, spooky stuff. You are all weirdos. But these Krampus, Krampus Karten, as they were called, Krampus cards, Europeans have been exchanging greeting cards featuring Krampus since the 1800s. Sometimes introduced with, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but basically the phrase is greetings from the Krampus. The cards usually have humorous rhymes and poems. Krampus is often featured looming menacingly over children. He's also shown sometimes as having one human foot and one cloven hoof. Now, in some, Krampus has sexual overtones. He's pictured pursuing buxom women. Have you seen these versions of the cards? No. So I'll find some and show them to you. But much like, I love this parallel. So you know how in our Halloween episode this year when I talked about vintage Halloween collectibles, we talked about how they were German produced. Yeah. Also, there were a lot of, by the way, Christmas ornaments produced in Germany around that same time. Germany was just shoving out the holiday stuff. But you know how we talked about how if we're talking real vintage Halloween ornaments, not ornaments. um, Decorations. Decorations. You know that the scarier they are, the older they they tend to be. Because as time has gone on... It became more of a party thing. It became more of a party thing for children and more kind of sanitized. Same exact thing with these Krampus cards. If you're looking at a real old Krampus carton, they're going to be creepy. The face is going to be really horrifying. The children are going to be being like strangled with the tongue, like really frightening imagery. But the more new and more recent they get, he was kind of washed down a little bit and I heard like be driving like a little car ladies in or... like a sexy Santa outfit and Krampus is coming after the sexy lady. It's like the monster carry type of idea of like a, a this creepy monster. It, it sounds like lady. he was kind of reduced to like the Philly fanatic or some uh, team mascot. To start, like, hitting on a woman in the audience. 
That sort of benign but overbearing advance. <laughs> I need you. I never met nobody like you. I can't live without you. The Heska macht mein entire Leben. It sounds to me like there was a bit of a sense of humor about it all by this point. Uh-huh. And sometimes we kind of forget that past generations had a sense of irony or sense of humor about their own things. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like these folks were just like, a greeting card with Krampus? How delightful. Yes. Here's one for you. Exactly. And we texted back and forth about the Krampuslauf, the like parade through the streets when lots of people dress as Krampus. Yes. And apparently traditionally in those parts of Europe that originate now, of course, in America, we're taking it on. But Americans who start doing it probably are delighted to learn of the tradition that a lot of times people who are watching the parades will be bolstered with schnapps to feed the Krampus. So if you're dressed as oh. Krampus, you're going to be drinking quite a bit. They give you a little booze. Drunken revelry. Yes. And I, lastly, just this is anecdotal, but I found an article from last year, 2015, and we all know uh, about the horrifying things that are going on in Syria right now, the refugee crisis. There are a lot of refugees pouring out of Syria into neighboring countries. And I found this article about these alpine towns that celebrate Krampus that have taken in some of these children, some of these Syrian refugee, refugee children. children. Yeah. Okay. So they interviewed some people last year who were saying... There were concerns that these child refugees in these alpine towns that celebrate Krampus might find the tradition frightful because they've just been ousted from their homes. Maybe their parents are gone. They're very traumatized. And of course... Last thing they need is a goat demon coming after them. Absolutely. And for the people for whom this is ubiquitous in their culture, it's just like fun, right? Uh But they were sensitive to the fact that to these children, it might be a little too much to handle. So last year in 2015, rather than canceling, I don't know what town this was, but there was a town that had a parade. I guess maybe a Krampus laugh or something similar. Rather than canceling their parade, town officials decided to educate the newcomers. Refugee children in this town were invited, oh, it says Leans, whatever town that is, L-I-E-N-Z, were invited to a presentation where they learned about the props, the costumes, and the customs of Krampus. So the kids would not be, ideally not be afraid of this. I love the idea that they're like, we've got this kind of scary thing. We know it might be extra scary for you. So come on, we'll teach you about it. We'll show you how it can be really fun. And my heart grew three sizes. That's nice. Yeah, I don't think we, uh, we ever have like uh, Halloween explanations at Ellis Island. <laughs> You're like, you know, welcome to America. Once a year, we get a little goofy. Yes. <laughs> Here's some literature. Yes. This holiday season, he knows if you've been naughty or nice. Don't open the door. He is the shadow of St. Nicholas. Hold on to each other. Krampus is coming. Nothing bad's gonna happen on Christmas. Rated PG-13. Back for our October episode, we covered Trick or Treat which only made us enthusiastic for the upcoming Christmas episode where we would cover the same director's take on Christmas, which was 2015's Krampus. And before watching Krampus, you and I had taken a journey through the Krampus maze at Halloween Horror Nights. Yes. So we kind of had an idea of what imagery to expect. Even though we didn't know the basic plot of the film, we kind of learned it, I think, by like going through the maze. It took you through different rooms. But they would, like, repeat the same living room. So the first time you go in, like, the living room is, like, creatures coming out at you and the tree's been knocked over and, 
you know, there's holes in the wall and things like that. And then you're in a kitchen that has like a gingerbread man with like a knife through it. And you're like, oh, something happened here. <laughs> and rather than pumping in the smells of like meat and putrid things that, that sometimes accompany other you mazes. How much I love that. Yeah. It's like, mm, the scent of gingerbread and alpine scents. It was a most magical maze. There was some nice uh, snowmen, rather malicious snowmen that came after you. That was pretty cool. Yeah. And then at the end, everything's back to normal and everything's great and Christmassy. And then you're like, I don't trust it. <laughs> <laughs> and then sure enough, one last scare. You're like, Rah! So from that, I just like intuited that probably in the Krampus film, at the end, it looks like everything's nice and back to normal. Or is it? And I must say, rarely have I seen a film, now that I've seen the film, more suited for a maze at Halloween Horror Nights. I mean, with all the myriad creatures there to just kind of plunder for creepy atmosphere and like creatures sure, like the, to scare the, the you. The killer toys. Totally, just. The, the gingerbread men who never take on a vicious look, they stay looking jolly <laughs> through the whole time, even when they're like attacking you and doing like Krampus's bidding. Yeah. This Christmas, Santa's got a brand new bag. Krampus as a character in the film Krampus. I was saying that like he wears like a Santa mask, so you never really see like the demon goat face. I did watch some of the special features. Their take on it is that he's been trying to emulate Santa, but coming up short. Okay. And Santa is this like great, revered character now, and he's been mostly swept aside. So all of these like tropes that we've been seeing, you know, like he kind of looks like a he's got like like the, the long red robes. Santa-like. He's got what appears to be like a Santa mask on. He comes with the tropes of Christmas. They say that was all sort of like character-wise, like a larger attempt on Krampus's part to uh, get in on some of Santa Claus's action. I'm not sure I picked up on that watching the movie. It probably would have helped to watch the movie before I had spent hours reading all about actual Krampus. Because I was a little distracted watching the movie by like, You're like this isn't what Krampus really is. Where's his bundle of sticks? I haven't seen stick one. <laughs> but of course, you know, of course, it's a movie. They have to come up with their own kind of take on it. And, and their take is a little vague. Yeah, I think so. The magic in like, let's say, Liar Liar or Big or Freaky Friday. It's kind of a nebulous. Yeah, it's just like you wish a certain direction and it happens. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we have to get the amulet and put its two pieces back together and say the thing in front of the magic statue. They really don't get into that. And sometimes overt kind of like complicated explanations of a certain type of magic in a movie can get really tedious for me. So I, I'm okay with oh, yeah, it no. being kind of unexplained. And we should say that the protagonist of the film kind of is this young boy, Max. Who loves Christmas. Who loves Christmas and wants his family to celebrate with all the traditions that they've traditionally celebrated with and everyone seems kind of a little too distracted a little too frustrated and angry at each other just kind of everyone's lost to christmas spirit and, and max is very frustrated they take a lot of their cues from national lampoon's vacation oh yes which i know you're a big old fan of oh yeah i was watching this movie and i was like oh okay cousin eddie and cousin Catherine." the little i mean this is a detail but like the advent calendar where he's opening the doors on i was like right. this is christmas vacation hey griswold where do you think you're gonna put a tree that big <laughs> Bend over and I'll show you. And it's like a giant blizzard comes. They experience a blackout. Something's happened to all their neighbors. So either Krampus came for all their neighbors you or... You kind of have to fill in those gaps on your own, I guess. I was expecting at some point, because they leave the house a couple of times, that one of the characters would just like keep going and going kind of down the street. And uh, trivia, 
like so much of this was digital. So like when they go out into the neighborhood, all those houses oh, are they digital. Said pretty much 95% of it was filmed on a sound stages. So they weren't outside for this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that the houses they used were like popular 80s movie houses. <gasps> no. So I think if you dig around the internet, maybe someone's like identified like the Griswold house, oh, maybe. That's fun. Just guessing or like the house at the end of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I'm just trying to think of like famous 80s houses. Totally. Uh, maybe like Ferris Bueller's house or something. Yeah. Are all my guesses, but that's their claim. That... Do you imagine that if one of them had just kept going and going, they might have like in the mouth of madness not been able to leave town and just sort of wound up right back where they started kind of a thing? Yes and no. I thought they'd keep going and wind up against the curved ah, wall yes. of a snow globe. Yes. They're in a giant snow globe, which if you watch it all the way to the end, I'm not completely off on that. Or am I? Right. Or am I not? It's kind of hard to know. I kind of ended the movie going, huh? Yeah. Um, believe the commentary does not help you. They're like, we kept it nebulous on purpose. And I'm it. like... How delightful and frustrating. So they left it kind of. Yes. Yeah, so to it's like, figure are it they trapped in a happy Christmas forever? Right. Which At can which get point tedious. you go, yeah, would get tedious. Or did it just imply that Krampus is like keeping an eye on them? Right. And at the end, are they all remembering everything they've gone through? Do they have just a general feeling of malaise and sadness? Like, what is going on exactly? By the way, the actors in this movie, like heavy hitters, Adam Scott, Tony Collette, Dave Koechner, Alison Tolman. She's the lead in the first season of Fargo. Absolutely wonderful. She's so good. Uh, Aunt Dorothy is played by Conchata Farrell. Yes. And yes, she's in absolutely everything. I mean, you've seen her in Two and a Half Men. Oh, she was in Frankenweenie. She voiced, uh huh. She's on everything. I right. mean, I've seen her in a million. So, so when she shows up, she's basically like when you saw William Hickey for the first time in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas. You're like, here comes trouble. Hey, Chris, you're not doing anything constructive. Run into the living room, get my stogie. Mention the grandmother who is the real tie to Krampus. Oh, sure. She's the she's one who, Austrian like, and she knows. And they have a, a flashback that looks like stop motion, but it's actually computer animation. It was really beautiful. To back when, like, her hometown forgot the meaning of Christmas because it was, like, post-World War II. Mm-hmm. And everyone was, like, fighting for bread. Take a look in the five and ten. Glistening once again. With candy canes and silver lanes aglow. And the opening, worth the price of admission, really, is just, like, this nice slow-mo set to, like, nice Christmas music, Black Friday-esque mall Oh, melee. you're talking about the opening to the film itself, not the oh, yeah, yeah. animation part, but the beginning of the movie, the yes. The beginning of the movie is like a mall. Isn't it set to, it's beginning to look a lot like I, b- I believe so, yeah. I As everyone's, like, shoving each other in, like, Christmas displays. It's a really gorgeous sequence. It's very funny. You know, it starts as a Christmas film, but it turns into, like, a survival horror film. Yep. And the one guy's like, oh, I was an Eagle Scout. And you're like, oh, that's going to come back. I hope he sets traps. <laughs> he doesn't set traps. But he does have some survival skills. And then the one more uh, gruff Dave Keckner character, he's like, I keep guns in my car. So you're like, well, that's going to come back. <laughs> and it does. What doesn't come back? And I went back and I watched, the, there's like a kitchen fight scene where like the gingerbread men are attacking. Mm-hmm. And early in the film, Tony Collette is using one of those little kitchen blowtorches to make like some creme brulee or yes. something. Because she's the character who like overdoes Christmas and is making all this like way fancy food that nobody and her appreciates. Picks on her about it, yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, 
Yeah, a little blowtorch. I'm sure that'll come back. And then it didn't. And I'm at the end of the film going, what happened to the little blowtorch? If there's one thing, Marshall, that I know that you get really excited about, it's watching a film, watching the setup for the kind of like the tools around you. And I, I think because I've heard you talk about that so much, I now watch movies with that kind of sheen on it where I'm like, okay, what's going to get... Well, which what we'll are they setting to, up? We'll get what's to gremlins get in, a, in a, just a moment, but the swords on the wall, yeah. you know that's going to come in handy at some point. Every time somebody comes in, they shut the door, a sword falls off, <laughs> and you're like, oh, it's kind of like the banister knob in a... Fix the newel post! It, yeah, it, it's a wonderful vacation. life. Oh, yes. No. Christmas vacation is a reference too, yes. Yeah. And then until the gremlins start hitting the fan, then you can grab one of those swords. But <laughs> yes, yeah, but uh, no blowtorch use. Small blowtorch. There's a gingerbread man running around. Practically writes itself. I don't know. Maybe there's a deleted scene. <laughs> I was reading that Mike Doherty, and by the way, he's a co-writer on this. There were two other writers, we should say. But also... Um, and he was the director who also brought us Trick or Treat. Yes. And he says, this is a Christmas film that is both scary and sentimental. A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life are nightmares that show you these broken characters who experience a darker side of divine intervention. They need to be scared straight. So they need to be scared back into having the holiday spirit, I guess. And there are a lot of literal references to these films. Uh, uh, Throck Krampus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it knows what it's doing. Yeah. You know, I was happy and lucky enough to snag a copy on Amazon for, like, under $5, a Blu-ray. After I watched it, I was like, okay, glad I own this now. I'll probably be watching this every Christmas. Do you think it'll become, like, a Christmas evergreen? It's weird what hits, because there's a lot of Christmas movies, but just, I mean, you watch the Hallmark Channel, and you're like, I never knew there was so many Christmas movies. Oh, my God, they make, like, 15 a year now. Yeah, but then it's like... A Christmas story. It was good. And then it kind of comes back a little more. And you're like, oh, yeah, that. And it comes back a little more. And you're like, now it's everywhere. Yeah. And then Elf. It's the most recent to become from movie to, like, staple. There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. It's weird what hits. Will this become another? In this sense, more, a little more subversive. I remember how subversive Nightmare Before Christmas was. Mm -hmm. Just because it was stop motion. Because previous to that, the only stop motion we ever saw was Christmas specials. Yeah. Christmas specials that brought on its back all the Christmas joy of the season. And to just do any movie that's kind of scary in that style, in the stop motion style, was already just like, again, subversive. Yeah. Do Christmas. And then that became just another part of Christmas. Yeah. Now pay attention we pick up an oversized sock and hang it like this on the wall. Oh, yes, does it still have a foot? Let me see, let me look. Why did it let me explain. And that's just the eternal, um, which I don't understand why it's a debate of whether Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas or a Halloween movie. Definitely a Christmas movie. I believe so. I mean, I know that's up to the people watching it, and I believe Tim Burton has said it's up to the people watching but it. Just, but just like stores start their Christmas earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. People get to start their Christmas viewing earlier by going, sure. it's half Halloween. <clears throat> the first five minutes of it are. It's yeah, set in it's Halloween about, town. Yeah. But so. it's about a Halloween character learning about Christmas. So yeah, I, 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 I definitely feel like that's not up for debate. Put it in the Christmas category. Yeah. But if you want to start watching a Christmas movie uh, in October, yes. no one's going to stop you. Yes. I need some gifts for my girlfriends. Girlfriends? How many? I have eight. Oh, you're supposed to be Santa Claus, are you? <laughs> Ho, ho, ho! Who's that? 
The taste of nuts and honey, Mr. Scrooge. That's great. I'll take nine. I thought you said you had eight girlfriends. Well, you never know when I might need an extra pair. Oh, my. Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. They're clever. They're mischievous. They'll get into the kitchen. The basement. The garage. They'll get into anything. And once they get in... You're in for it. Gremlins. They'll be expecting you. Directed by Joe Dante. Rated PG. Cat. Marshall? In a previous, I believe one of our Christmas episodes, I brought up Gremlins and you told me that you hadn't seen it like since you were a little kid. I had not. And you were like, what are those things called? I'm like, Mogwais? Gremlins? What? How, how are you not completely intimate with this film? I know. And, I and so, a lot as a kid, although I realize now re-watching it yesterday that I think I've seen Gremlins 2 as a kid much more than I saw the original. Okay. But maybe Gremlins 2 is for another day. For now, I had not seen Gremlins since I was a child, and I know that since then I've heard a lot of people talk about how it's required viewing for them during the Christmas season. I did not yeah. remember how dripping with Christmas it was. Really, yeah. It's Christmas top to bottom, left to right, front and back. It's a, as much, if not more, of a holiday film than Die Hard. And I certainly know people who always like to check that out in the Christmas season. Now I have a machine gun. Okay. There's, there's a lot of Christmas imagery, more than your average action film. Right. But not as much as Gremlins. No. I don't think. Certainly no. No. Gremlins is Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And for me, it was an early horror film that I could watch. It brings with it the pacing and the events of a horror film. And it kind of became mainstream despite itself. Gremlins is a deliciously sweet, crunchy cereal that satisfies the hungry little gremlin that's in all of us. It was written by uh, Chris Columbus, who has brought us many enchanting things. But he wrote it as a straight-up horror movie. Spielberg got his hands on it. And he is so in love this is my interpretation, with World War II airplanes. Mm. And he's managed to put those into several of his movies. Who flies planes like these anymore? No one. These planes were reported missing in 1945. The old World War II bombers and fighters and, and all that. And the notion of gremlins isn't ancient. I mean, the notion of imps and sort of like, you know, brownies or whatever who come and, like, mess with you. Mm -hmm. That's ancient. But the idea of gremlins themselves only goes back about to the 1920s. Okay. With the British RAF. And if something was to go wrong with one of their planes, they'd start blaming gremlins. I'm loving you right now. I did not... Uh-huh. Go on. This is fun. This is something that only got increased with World War II. And I don't know what he did in the RAF, but uh, Roald Dahl was in the RAF. Mm. And he wrote a book called The Gremlins, where he sort of had his own take on the gremlins, and they lived in the clouds, and they ate postage stamps. You know, it was pretty kid-friendly. And Disney was considering making his book into a movie for a while. It never happened, but the publicity of that, I guess, and then the book itself, really spread the idea of gremlins even further. And pilots would report seeing creatures while up in the air. And, I didn't know that. Well, people also say that, you know, between battle stress and altitude, sure. it would cause hallucination. Could that have been a gremlin? 
it was considered a way of keeping up morale to be like, well, it wasn't a manufacturing fault and it wasn't your mechanics fault and it wasn't pilot error. It was gremlins. Get a load of this, folks. It says here, a constant menace to pilots are the gremlins who wreck planes with their diabolical sabotage. And then, if nothing else, Warner Brothers did falling hair with Bugs Bunny. It's sort of him versus a gremlin. Hmm. So that kept it in the vernacular. So that when a Gremlins film came out, people would be kind of familiar enough to go like, oh, yeah, those things. Mm -hmm. So Chris Columbus wrote it when he was basically still like at NYU film school. Spielberg was starting Amblin and was hoping to make a horror movie kind of on the cheap. Mm -hmm. And he sought out Joe Dante, who had done Piranha. I think Dante first came on Spielberg's radar when Piranha was coming out opposite Jaws 2. And Universal was like, we're going to sue them and all that. Spielberg watched Piranha and was like... Ah, this is a goofy film. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. And then The Howling came out. Joe Dante did The Howling, the werewolf film. And Spielberg saw it, and he was like, Ah, oh, that actress. I'm going to put her in my new uh, alien film, E.T. So D. Wallace Stone became the uh, the mom from E.T. because of The Howling. And he said, That director, maybe I can attach him to this uh, Gremlin script that's been knocking around. And at the time, the Gremlin script was still a horror film. Uh -huh. And its second draft... They keep saying in special features that there was even a part where, like, the mob's head rolled down the steps oh. because the gremlins straight up killed the mob. Wow. That must have been in the first draft. Because what's considered the second draft, which you can find online, they do kill and eat the mob. They just eat people. Good God. Yeah. But the rolling head isn't in it. So I guess that between draft one and two. As they continued to work on it, it became less horror, especially when they saw just how darn cute those mogwai were. <laughs> Do you know what the Cantonese word magwai means? No, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. Devil. Whoa. Yeah. It actually means devil. And that's in the script, the horror script, where, like, the dad, he's, instead of being in Chinatown, he, like, goes to, like, Hong Kong, and he finds this odd animal, and he brings it back for his son as a gift. And it's, you know, brown and fuzzy and kind of cute. In the original, even as magwai, they're still malicious. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. The new ones aren't like Gizmo. The one with the stripes seems to be the leader. You know what? What? I'll bet every kid in America would like to have one of these. In rewrites, they separated Gizmo from the others. And pretty late in the game, we're like, okay, Gizmo doesn't turn into a gremlin like the others. Like, he was going to. Instead, he will stay an active part of the story in his Mogwai form. Good choice. Really good choice. And I guess, if nothing else, between that horror script and actually making gremlins... E.T. came out. And if you could get some kind of supernatural or extraterrestrial creature to be your best buddy, you got some gold there. <laughs> yeah. So when they were designing the Mogwai Gizmo character, they made him the same color pattern as Spielberg's Cocker Spaniel. Oh, he's so cute. This late in the game decision to keep him not turning into a gremlin, though, sent panic through the special effects guys because they only had Mogwai's or gizmos who could just do what they were supposed to do up until a certain point in the movie. And now they're like, oh, and for the rest of the movie, too. They're like, uh, and that's why they keep them in Billy's backpack. Right. For, I was paying close attention to that. There was like a couple of shots where, you know, you're really paying attention to what Billy's doing. But if you look, it's like gizmos not moving right now. <laughs> you know, like, not really. No, because they just didn't need him to move in this shot. 
He's just a little stuffed animal that I want, so I can sleep with. So, remember when they take the dog and just like string him up in the yes. Christmas lights? In the original? They ate the dog. Jesus. They just ate the dog. And wow. I guess from that, then they cocooned. Because there was no like feeding him after midnight. Oh. I guess the rule should have been like, don't let him eat dog. Because oh. after that, they cocoon and then they hatch and they attack the mob. And the mob in this one is also, uh, she like takes Valium all the time. It's a little darker and more cynical. It's still set at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Originally, I think it was because they want to take this like nice town and then just wreck it. The and, town, and by the way, which is named Kingston Falls, which I couldn't help but think is a reference to Bedford Falls. Probably. And originally Kingston Falls, Pennsylvania. Oh. Yeah. Cute. Well, Bedford Falls, of course, if if people don't know, is the uh, town from It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. And it just sort of became like Kingston Falls, Anytown, USA. And it is definitely Courthouse Square. Oh, absolutely. From the Universal backlot. Yeah. Hey, gang, you're rolling with rockin' Ricky Rialto, the voice of Kingston Falls, USA. I guess... Part of the benefit of keeping it like Christmassy and like filming it on the back lot, which was like already pretty familiar if you would just watch movies. Yeah. Even without Back to the Future. If you were to take these like gremlins and stick them in like a real, real life looking situation, they'd look extra fake. But if you take them and put them in this sort of surreal, yesteryear looking kind of town where everybody knows the mailman and it's snowing, kind of fakey snow, mm-hmm. and everything looks really, like, nice and Christmassy. And that's part of what's nice about Christmas. It's surreal. Yeah. Like, just normal Christmas. It's like, well, I've got this house the rest of the year, but now it's covered in lights and plastic snowmen and inflatable grinches. And I'm walking down Main Street in my town, which is Main Street like it is every other day of the year, but now there are lit up snowflakes on the sides, and every window has a display that's got animated Giant drummer boys and... Toy soldiers. Yeah. So it is magical. Yeah, to put a gremlin in something just as surreal as regular Christmas keeps it from looking fake. Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Although the original script didn't have like the rules, you remember the teacher that they take the yeah the Bagwai to? He runs some tests and he's like, oh, they might multiply with water, but not if it's twenty-eight degrees or less. Which was just something that the regular movie didn't do, which is say, why is he multiplying in the snow? <laughs> Snow's just water. Yes. But uh, I guess it has to be over a certain temperature, which the original script took the time to explain. Mm-hmm. What if they're eating in an airplane and they cross a time zone? I mean, it's always midnight somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there are a few things I think you just overlook. Like, of course, I didn't when I was watching it. When, you know, Phoebe Cates is manically trying to like serve all of them at the bar yeah she's giving them like beer and whatever and there's just like a whole sequence of them swinging from the the fan playing poker playing croquet on the pool table just all kinds of stuff and in a lot of moments they're all smoking cigarettes and cigars and stuff but then when she goes to light a cigarette for one of them he like freaks out and that's how she figures out the bright light thing yeah but i'm like how did the rest of their cigars and cigarettes get lit you know what i mean car lighters Mm, that's I was like I, that's the only thing I can think. 
So that's the kind of stuff. That you is just a hole in logic. What the heck, Gremlins? I never. This point podcast out that kind is of stuff. over. <laughs> I never even noticed that kind of stuff. But I was just like, wait a minute. They've been smoking up and down this place, and this is the first light they've seen. But whatever. Who actually cares? Because Phoebe Cates. Yeah. <sighs> now I was a kid with this hit cable, and I was a really good age for it to take this as like a primer for what a horror movie could be. Because it is, for the values of a child, still straight up scary. Even though nobody gets decapitated. Well, that one gremlin does, actually. But Yeah, he does. Even before gremlins show up, you've got the mean woman threatening to take your dog. Mrs. Deagle. She's Mrs. like Deagle. She's Elmira Gulch from The Wizard of Oz. She's Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. She's Scrooge. She's every mean old person character from every classic movie. Who's going to take your dog? She says she's going to take him and kill him. Yeah. Put him to sleep. She's... So mean. But, of course, you get a shot of her in her house with, like, there's a picture of, like, we presume maybe her dead husband. Yeah. And I like to think. Who was an actual dead actor at the time. But oh, they really? went to his family and, uh, like, got permission. Well, and as when I saw that, I like to think that was their way of saying, like, this is probably why she's mean. Yeah. She's sad. She's sad. That, those she's characters sad are always sad. And she's got all her cats. That cat on, on her little, like, scooter thing that was, like, taking her motorized down the stair. Yeah. Such a good cat actor. Just sitting there patiently on her lap. I was charmed. You might quibble. Why do they know all these pop culture references? Why do they know how well, to I think... cut the phone lines? Why do they know how to mess with the traffic lights so they're all going to be green? Well, that's just their natural inclination. I guess. They are, they by definition, know how traffic works. like mechanically inclined. I always thought, and this is like back to when I was a kid, because mm-hmm. even then I would like fill in potholes <laughs> to make myself enjoy films more. They bring with them whatever knowledge Gizmo had. Hmm. Okay. And we know Gizmo's smart. He learns words and he sings his own theme song for crying out loud. Yeah. So, and then the movie just goes off the rails because why not? And sure. I, who I think it just took so long to make the movie because like the servos and the wires and the cables of all this pre-CGI special effects took so long. One, it gave the director of photography a lot of time to work on the lighting. Because they're like, it takes eight hours to make this gizmo blank. And he's like, well, then I've got eight hours to set up these lights. So it is a great looking movie. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's so Christmassy. Christmassy and scary lighting, when it had to be, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, I love the shot. I mean, I love so many shots. But I love the shot of Billy running out of the YMCA. And they've got all, like, all of the green flashing lights. And, green and red lights flashing behind yeah. the windows, of, you know, because they're all growing. And yeah. This is a small detail, but you, ever since our Hack to School episode of Boys and Ghouls, every time someone mentions a boiler room, I'm yeah. tuned to it. And I, Marshall was, a little Marshall was on my shoulder when he asks Phoebe Cates, he's like, where's the boiler room? Talking about the theater. Of, of a like, movie theater. She's like, oh, it's just down this way, this this door. And I'm like, how does she know where the boiler room is in the movie theater? Even if there was a, like, she had a lot of jobs. So it's like, oh, she even Maybe worked she there. she worked there. Okay. That was how I just Every job it. I've ever had. I don't know where the boiler room was. No. I don't know where the water heater was. <laughs> no. But you know what? It's fine. And, and actually, that's a horror trope. like dumb. Yes, it is a horror so, trope. So later so when I would watch other horror movies, movie to watch. they'd be like, where's the boiler room? Oh, it's around the corner. It's like, yeah, because people in these movies know where boiler they rooms are. They just know. They just know. Oh, and how beautiful. I mean, this is just me talking about, like, all the great things I loved about the movie. But, like, the shot of them when they're behind the projector and the gremlins are coming for them. And you see the shadows. Oh, yeah. Or they're behind the screen, rather. And the shadows of the gremlins coming after them. It's just so good. It's just such a good movie. Also, I love how at the end the dad is, like, apologizing to the Chinese man who comes to pick up Gizmo. Yeah. He's like, you know, I can't tell you how sorry I am that all of this happened. And I'm like, 
Does he know people died? I'm not sure if he knows literally well, yeah. people are dead. Like I was saying, like, Mrs. Deagle died. That's more than just assume, an I'm sorry. We assume there's some other deaths, but in the original, they just ate the town. There's, like, descriptions of, like, the next day. Like, it wasn't all in one night. It was over a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they come out when it's bright and they can't find where the gremlins are. But there's, like, bodies in the street and, like, they go to McDonald's and everyone's been killed. I guess I'm just thinking from like a 2016 litigious, like the world we live in, the standpoint of like someone would have to be criminally culpable you know, for all these people that die. They start setting like riots and like mass panic. <laughs> so they, they never, like reports of little green people and it's in those reports and they're like, we don't go to Mr. Fudderman mm-hmm. at, at Mercy Hospital. So you're like, hey, if you listen close, you know Mr. Fudderman yes. lived. Yes. So that when he shows up in part two, you're not like, wait. Mm-hmm. I think I would picture that like him and his wife both jumped into the plow portion of the snowplow. I love it. You've thereby, like, sort of protecting them as, like, the plow continued to just, like, go through their house. Sure. Yeah. If they're inside the curved little part. Yeah, sure. I'm with you. And so, Mr. Fudderman was my introduction to Dick Miller. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40-watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. He's great. Born on Christmas Day. Really? Yeah. Wow. And you'll notice what he wears all the time. It's like his old WW2 bobber jacket. Oh, and he's always talking about gremlins in the he's the one who actually, of these stupid foreign cars. Yeah. And foreign machines. He doesn't like anything foreign. He's the one who brings up gremlins. So the later they can, they can have like context for it and be like... He says, there's actual gremlins! Ah! Yeah, that's Laugh like, out loud funny. Yeah. I like honk laughed at that. Very funny. I'm still so tied into just how much of it was just straight up horror to me when I was a kid. So much so that when part two came out, I was like, this is just ridiculous. They got lady gremlins and they're doing all this goofy stuff and that one's You're like, singing. the original movie was so serious. Yeah. They're just making a mockery out of it. Let me just recap right now. It's Brainy Gremlin, Spider Gremlin, Bat Gremlin, Lady Gremlin, Googly Eye Gremlin, Electricity Gremlin, Hulk Hogan's gonna be in the picture. I'm gonna throw in a Gremlin myself. Gremlins. And then I had to go back as an adult and realize, like, oh, no, the first one was also yes. fun and lively. It's like the revelation that you gave me of my experience watching arachnophobia as a child. To you, me, that was a even, straight horror film. You didn't I know it was a thrill No idea it was a thrill Yeah. No idea. I just was scared out of taking baths for, like, two months. Yeah, I would even try to, like, hold when he's like, hold your breath, because he's, like, turned on the gas. I would, like, at home, just be like, <gasps> You stop it. That is adorable. Uh, he never said when, when it was okay to breathe, so I figured, like, when they left the theater. So even when they're, they're getting chased out, I'm like, <laughs> Wow. <gasps> okay. That is, sound the charm alarm. That's adorable. Said the night wind to the Probably no part of Gremlins prepared me for watching horror films more than the sequence with the mother. She's such a badass, isn't she? Yes, and just like how, what the stakes are high if you're a kid watching it, because that's that's a mom. We've seen her being so caring, cooking dinner, taking care of her family, being supportive of a husband who's kind of If it was like a night watchman investigating a noise, you'd be like, too bad for him. Yeah. But that's the mom. This is a whole character. Already have grown to, like, love and appreciate this character. Yeah. She's a great, she seems like such a great mom. And then, so it was like, she's up in the attic. There's all the, just the open cocoons. Well, first, doesn't she hear a noise? Yeah. And she's in the kitchen. She investigates the noise. And she grabs a knife because she's resourceful. 
She already knows. She goes up with a knife. I'd better be careful. In hand. Mm-hmm. And then she gets the call. It's like, she doesn't want to go up all the way into the attic, but then the phone rings. So she goes up just far enough into the attic to like oh, grab the phone God. and be told, like, get out of the house. And it's like, she's in the furthest part from the door. She's in the attic. And then she's got to like make her way through the house. And then there's like a shadow of a gremlin and it kind of goes away. And it's, the fir- I mean, you quickly see a gremlin full body in the school. Like, like real Just fast. Just for a second. But with her, the gremlin that's like eating icing. Yeah, I, I yeah. believe. <laughs> uh, that's the first time you really see one, like for a They really a while. make you wait for it, and it's such a great payoff. Yeah, and so she's like going through the house, and now there's these like these creatures. And from upstairs, the Johnny Mathis, do you see what I see? Like so many other things. That's just an older song that's supposed to be like a lovely song, but like, man, in that right circumstance, it's such a creepy, like, mm-hmm. do you know what I know? Or have you ever seen a dream walking? Right. I mean, that's not Christmas, but yeah, or, or just, uh, or, or later when they come out and like the streets are deserted, they sort of the score plays like Silent Night, like kind of slowly. Yeah. You're like, oh man. Yeah. And just going on the whole movie's like Christmasiness, the credits music is uh, the Phil Spector Christmas song. Like, they're really just hitting, like, Christmas! Yeah, and of course, she goes to turn the creepy music off. It's it's an almost creepier silence. And then it goes, like, because it's an album, Mm -hmm. you can actually get it. Instead of just turning it off, it's like... Do you hear what... And you're like, oh, man. And then she goes in the kitchen, and I thought, like, man, there's all these great inventions, and she doesn't use any of them to kill gremlins. She does. I'm not sure what it is. It's not the juice maker, but it is, like, one of the, like, the Peltzer... Inventions. Yeah, and she doesn't really hesitate. It's pretty cool. She yeah. just, she identifies the like, threat. Time she to kill these threats. She, yeah, she realizes there's nothing to be done except press that button. And and I, I really related to like when she presses that button and it it starts blending around and spraying the green. As much goo. orange juice as got around before, now gremlin gore Ugh. is, is going around. And she reaches over to turn it off, and she's like, Ugh. and like <laughs> that's like the face and the sound I make when I have to like clean up. A cockroach I've smashed with a book. It's yeah. just like you know you have to go. And now I, I totally remembered the gremlin of the microwave because microwaves were fairly new at the time, or at least new to my household. So like that, that thing's a gremlin killing weapon. You're simultaneously you're simultaneously looking at it going, oh gross! I know this is going to be disgusting, and I can't wait to see what happens. But I'd forgotten how she just straight up. St- Dabs a gremlin to death. That was intense. Yeah, and they had filmed it like a close-up, and they were like, no, not, not for this PG rating. Right. But you can still see it when she goes over then to like take care of the other one with a microwave. It's still like in the background, like twitching with a knife in it. So gross. I also love how there's a shot of her grabbing a knife and then thinking twice about it. And grabbing a second knife. Yeah, so she she's goes got with a knife two in each knives. hand. She's again, I'll say, a badass. She's so like she just owns these gremlins. It's one of those, like, giant stockings. Mm-hmm. We always had, like, stocking-sized stockings, but I knew the kid that had the giant stocking, and I always thought that, like, must translate into, like, tons of presents! <laughs> and then she, like, it's moving, so she slices it open, but it's just like a little robot just turning around. But she's not done yet because there's a gremlin in the Christmas tree, which... When you see a gremlin in a Christmas tree attacking a woman, it looks like the Christmas tree is tree attacking. You just see is attacking little her. red eyes yeah. poking out. And then Billy comes in and grabs the sword, which in the original script was like a sword that he had because he's obsessed with like King Arthur and stuff. And he bought a sword special from a guy named Dory at Dory's Antiques, which later became like Dory's Bar. Mm-hmm. And it was that character of Dory, which was just like some older guy, who gives the Christmas speech 
that Phoebe Cates gets about the father dressing like Santa, which at the time, if you read it with that guy doing it, it's a total parody of the Indianapolis speech in Jaws, Mm. you know, which ends with, and that's why I don't wear a life vest. (laughs) His ends with, and that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Yeah. With this older guy saying this speech at that point in the film, where they're all just sort of like holed up in his antique shop, which later became the bank, just to kind of hold yourself up for a little bit and catch your breath. Mm-hmm. That was straight comedy. That was the problem that like the studio had with that speech. Apparently they really had a problem with that speech because they didn't know, is it comedy? Is it drama? Because you give that speech then to young Phoebe Cates, who's still kind of baby-faced. Oh, then it takes to the other extreme, and it is dark as and, hell. It feels kind of silly, right? To be, if by this point you're still picturing it as like a straightforward horror film, mm-hmm. it does feel like a silly kind of thing to be focusing on. But coming out of her... And she's lit by this overturned bank Christmas tree whose lights are just sort of like, and is like lighting her from underneath, Mm -hmm. kind of like a fire, as she completely earnestly delivers this tale. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire, and that's when I noticed the smell. Firemen came and broke through the chimney top. And me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. And instead, they pulled out my father. Now, you're marketing to kids now. However this movie started, you're now marketing to kids because Mogwais are adorable and they're going to be... Uh, kids are going to go, Mom, I want to go see that movie. And they want to buy their own Mogwai. And like in the movie, he wears a Santa hat for like five seconds. But you can then buy like Mogwais with Santa hats on. With any sandwich, fries, and soft drink, get a Gremlin storybook and record for 99 cents or less plus tax. Collect all five of these read-along stories about Gizmo and his friends. In that context, watching it as a kid, again, the mom being in danger, the dog being in danger, let's complete the trifecta. The idea of both your dad and Santa Claus being taken out at the same time is just like, oh my God, she has seen some stuff. It's pretty dark. Yeah. So... I can't really separate myself from my eight-year-old self when it comes to that speech. Because to me, it's still just like spot on. And it would be another 10 years before I I saw the Indianapolis speech. And it wasn't until last night, looking at it in new context, did I ever like put the two together. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a source of just kind of silliness. They're like, hey, remember Phoebe Cates on that speech? And I might even be like, yeah, it was kind of funny. I think you can laugh at it because it's so ridiculously sad if it were a real thing that happened it's so it's the kind of thing you have and to laugh to keep from crying we did just come from breakdancing gremlins the scene before that's true yeah to me totally effective totally belongs in the film yeah i realized they parody it in part two and i guess that was one of the things that i was like they're just making a mockery out of part one because to me it was just straight up horror yeah Merry Christmas, I don't want to fight tonight with Christmas. Merry Christmas. Depending when you're listening to this. Welcome, Krampus. And I'm glad that uh, 
Man, you grabbed onto Krampus with both hands. I love Krampus, and you know, our listener and friend of the podcast, Nick Snyder, really also has like filled me with the love of Krampus. He has latched on even harder than I have, and it's a character that I certainly hope grows in the States a little more. Big fan. Big fan. Sure. And I'm glad you could also uh, revisit Kingston Falls. Is that what it's called? Bedford Falls? Kingston Falls. Which was the... Bedford Falls is from It's a Wonderful Life. I'm getting mixed up in my head. Yeah. I'm glad you could revisit Kingston Falls. Me too. Essentially with me. Because the more I look at it, the more I see that Gremlins has really just fused itself onto my DNA. Yeah. And any horror that I watch, and these days I watch a lot, my appreciation of that all goes back to those original building blocks of... A few things, not just Gremlins. The Thriller music video, sure. Whatever scripts and scraps of horror movies that were on like before my bedtime that I just happened to catch. Or just commercials for horror movies where I was like, what happens there? Or just being a young man walking around like the horror section of a video store just looking at boxes. All those things sort of laid my foundation. Uh, but one of the key ingredients is Gremlins. Cute. Merry Christmas, I don't Well, Merry Christmas, Marshall. We hope all of you who are listening are having a wonderful holiday season. Yes, unless you're listening to this off-season, because our episodes are good anytime. If this is the first one you're listening to, this is our 57th episode. So there's 56 just as good episodes for you to check out. And if you are uh, slowly becoming a a fan, maybe you've listened to more than one, uh, please go to our Facebook page, give it a like, see the fun things we post. Kat, you're handling the Instagram. Yep. I'm handling the Pinterest and the Tumblr. And we're on Twitter. And if you are so inclined, we'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps us somehow. It helps us become more visible to people who are searching for great podcasts. And I want to know who you people are. Yeah. uh, That's listening. I really do. So find us on the internet. And uh, in the meantime, uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Mm -hmm. And as always... Beware the Yuletide moon. So wish you and yours a most merry Christmas and a prosperous and a happy new year.